Hi, my name is Cesar Cavazos and welcome to Friction Log. I am joined by my co-host Rick Blaylock and we are here to bring you the best insights of UX, developer experience and how we experiment with the extraction of joy, struggles and other emotions when using technologies. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Friction Log. In this episode, we have a first guest, somebody that Rick and myself have worked with in the past few years, uh, a good friend and somebody that is also very enthusiastic about technology. We're going to have an interesting episode regarding one of those popular tools for integration. Most of us are front-end developers. Most of the people that, that listen to this show are front-end developers. And for one way or another, we all have either known or used Firebase before. So this episode is going to be all about Firebase. We have Jeff Haney from Pinpoint, that it is it is going to be our persona today. And Rick, welcome. Jeff, welcome. How are you guys doing? Thank you. Great. Doing great. Doing, doing great. You guys warm up there in Austin, Jeff? It's a beautiful day here today. It's 70, 70 degrees. Nice. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's warm here. 80 degrees here. Cool. So why don't we start talking about how we met each other? Because I think we all we all met each other at Epsilerator at different times. I mean, Jeff, I, I we just got done talking about this on your show, Build Software Better. Did I get that right? Build That's correct. Better, yeah, Build Software Better. Yeah. So, you know, from your perspective, Jeff, when, when do you remember us joining Accelerator? Do you even remember? Or was it like, oh, crap, there's these new guys and what are they doing of, here? A bunch of, bunch of new dudes that showed up. <laughs> um, a bunch of noobs. <laughs> stick them in the support channel and just exactly. have them ask your questions. <laughs> I, I do. I do remember, you know, different. it was different times when you guys showed up, right? So I think you guys were at least a year and a half, two years apart, right? Yeah. So sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something about, yeah, around that time, although that when I joined or when I initially started working on a project, it was with Rick. That's right. And I and we both ended up being at the office because we had this big app for iPhone and iPad that we were working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you show up a couple of times because also the customers show up and it was a nice week. That was probably 11, 2011, probably. Okay. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds about right. So Rick and I, I think Rick started working with us right around the beginning of 2010, right, Rick? Yep, uh, yep. And, mm-hmm. and I was the founder and CEO of Accelerator, so I had started a little bit earlier than that. And then, yeah, so I think that was, you know, we brought in, you know, we were growing. We had raised money and, and Titanium, which was our main open source product, was growing really rapidly. And it was an iPhone and Android cross-platform mobile toolkit. And so we started off like a lot of days in the early mobile days, we were we were helping people build apps because they didn't know how to build apps and certainly didn't know how to build apps using JavaScript. And so we had we had, had a services team that we hired, you know, great developers like you guys. And we had to help, you know, we were working with a lot of big companies. So we had to help them sort of train up. And then by doing that, we were helping them actually build their apps for them and and, and turn it over to their team usually. Yeah, I think that was, yeah, that was one of the interesting things. After I joined and moved to California, probably around like the second week, I happened to be working on an app and then it just couldn't make it work, whatever I was trying to do. And I started asking around like, hey, does anybody know how to do this? And 
basically somebody told me like, oh, that that is your team. You're supposed to have all the answers for all the developers <laughs> and customers. And I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> Good to know. Thanks. <laughs> it, awesome. it, was, it was really such an interesting time too because it was beginning of mobile. We were working on apps that, you know, big company and media company apps and all news apps and all sorts of stuff. And it was, uh, it was a really interesting time. It was just, super scrappy, you know, doing things for people. It was a lot of fun. And and well, honestly, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, you know, what people will probably not remember um, back then as much is that, you know, JavaScript was still pretty new, especially JavaScript. Mm. I mean, certainly JavaScript yeah. and mobile, but JavaScript was sort of in this, on this rise, right? I mean, it, it, it sort of been dormant for many years. Obviously, right. Web 2.0 and Ajax has sort of sort of made it a little bit more popular. But we were one of the, you know, one of a handful of people that were sort of pioneering. And how do you really make JavaScript a first class language? I mean, right. Webpack didn't exist. React didn't exist. None of these things existed when we were doing all this, you know. Right. And, and we, we invented a lot of these things and, and obviously popularized a lot of these things. Now it's, you know, everybody does it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember so many developers of the community trying to put jQuery inside Titanomat. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It was, it was right. that early where jQuery was the thing. Everybody was using jQuery. Angular JS was around. Like it was it was an idea out there, right. but there wasn't really a, a set of best practices or anything like we have today. It oh, been, and and the the education you had to do too to the, the developers because you're like um well no titanium doesn't have a dom because it's not a document object model it's not it's not the web it's native code and they're like what what how is that what is that what does it even mean and and now jeff to your point now when you talk to people it's kind of common knowledge like oh okay this is just javascript engine running on whatever that's right yeah well you remember a lot of the developers we were working with were coming from like a java or c-sharp background a lot of these a lot yeah. of these developers weren't even web developers they were they were more back in i mean this whole concept of a full stack developer hadn't emerged yet we were pushing that pretty early on but but this whole idea was you were either a front-end developer you know, you sort of did the HTML and CSS, or you were a backend, you know, backend guy or gal. I mean, that was a really a Java C sharp world, or PHP mm -hmm. maybe if you're more on the the sort of you know agency side or freelancer side. Right. So. Right. And another another of the big changes in thinking for developers, even if you were a front end developer, thinking about network, like an application mm. can be offline, and everybody that was a web developer they automatically yeah. assume that you were going to be online always. So that was one one big thing. Like you start talking about caching and local databases and all of that. I know now we have databases in the browser, right? You, you can have, we can have we can have uh, workers, we can have offline apps, whatnot, the progressive web apps or, and whatnot. But back in the day, there was nothing like that. It was it was a big, big change. And it was oh, yeah. it was a fun. Yeah. Fun time. Yeah. It really was, you know, and the other thing I was, I was thinking about this today, actually, I was scrolling through my iMessage chats and in the top, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 people were all people that I used to work with at Accelerator. <laughs> it's just, it, there's a lot of people that I text I'm still today, you know, years later. It's a great it's, community. Yeah, it really is impactful. Both inside and outside the company. It was, uh, yeah, I, I agree. There's so many of the tech people I still interact with in some way or still somehow were connected to Accelerator. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> 
So let's talk about our friction log here. So we're going to talk about Firebase, which is, you know, if if I called it MBAS, I feel like I'm doing it a disservice. Maybe started out as an MBAS mobile backend as a service, but it's so much more than that. So we're going to talk about that. And Jeff, you're the persona, and this is a first time experience friction log. And uh, you've just recently started using Firebase in your own company at Pinpoint. So can you just talk about that? Just talk about like your experience leading up to Firebase. What kind of, you know, MBAS experience have you had in the past? Have you had any Firebase experience? Right. What are you working on in Pinpoint where you're using Firebase? You know, that kind of thing. Well, we started, I don't have any, I'll start off with, I don't have any Firebase specific experience up until about three and a half, four months ago. It was totally brand new to me. I I think Rick, you were the first person to tell me about Firebase so, you know, <laughs> several years ago. I think we mm-hmm. talked about it several times, but, I, but, you know, partly probably because of my own bias from some of the past, I just was like, ah, eh, you know, probably not a good, you know, probably not a good fit. My experience in databases goes a long, long way back, all the way back into Oracle and you know, MySQL and more traditional relational type databases, SQL Server, and then all the way up through Mongo and more traditional CouchDB and quite a lot of NoSQL databases. And then in 2012, I actually acquired a company and and um, and and started myself working on what you called a MBAS. We did, I don't know, I guess we kind of called it that back in those days, mobile back in a service, this sort of idea of a cloud database where right. you just used an API to talk to a database in the cloud. And you know, we were one of the, you know, many people at the time that was trying to sort of pioneer this concept, you know, could you just build APIs and, and, and for mobile development, that was our use case, right? Was you don't really need a lot of infrastructure because everything's, you know, you're on a mobile device, you don't have, you know, you can't install anything really outside of the app itself. So this, this concept of you got to put your data somewhere because you may, you know, you may not, you know, be able to store it all on that device. And even if you could, it needs to be in the cloud because you might move from devices or move to other sort of platforms and you need that data. So we started experimenting very early on, 2012, around this whole concept of a cloud a database in the cloud. And that was different than an API to access a, da- a database, like a native database that ran in a cloud. It was like a pure, like I didn't know anything about the database. I didn't know anything about indexes. I didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. I could just create an object and store it in the cloud natively. So. Had a long history there, obviously with our with our product at Appcelerator that we that we worked on, and you know it was a similar concept in some ways. I think Firestore Firebase has done you know it is sort of the implementation we had dreamed of. You know, got its own right. set of challenges. We'll get into that, but but it, it but it had been the thing. If I if I fast forward now, almost ten, not quite ten years, but almost ten years from that point, you know, I would say Firebase uh, is solving a lot of the things that we had dreamed of solving back in those days. I think of three products when when talking about those initial mobile backend as a services. One was obviously the Absolutor platform. I work with it and I implemented a lot of good apps with it. I remember Parse that was bought by Facebook mm-hmm. and then shut down. Yeah. And I think now you can deploy your own. Like it's yeah. not hosted anymore. It's open but- source. Yeah, it's open source. You can host it. I think it was just more like talent acquisition and whatnot. And I remember Firebase, but it was like it was it was like nothing. Not until like Google actually saw the potential of it and and then invest in it, and then it's becoming what it is right now, which is probably the only uh, the only one for somebody that just wants uh, to store data and doesn't really care how it's stored, how it's managed, or or, or stuff like that, and even the 
pipeline is, is pretty good. And and the other thing that I that I relate to mobile backend as a service is I think that bootstrap what we now know as modern API gateways and API mm -hmm. management solutions. Like it all started with how do we serve mobile? And now it is like, oh, no matter what you're doing, web or even other systems, you gotta have some sort of API management and orchestration and and, and things like that. So it, the roots of Firebase go way back for me on, on all those concepts. And now we're still living um, through them and it's good to hear like like it is something that i sense that you're you're very positive about the potential of what it is jeff so it's good to hear that yeah my most recent experience just sort of just to sort of help frame it was we we had just come off in the last three years on um, a fairly decent size mongo in the cloud so atlas they call it MongoDB running in the cloud but again it's a it's a it's not firebase which is a kind of this I don't really know about the servers or the data. I can't really manage it. It's just sort of some thing in the cloud. Whereas the right. Mongo Atlas thing was literally, they deploy for you physical instances, right? You can kind of control how big they are and what your storage size is, and like your indexes. And it's a cloud offering and it's a native cloud offering in the sense that, you know, it is a cloud, but but you have access to it, but it's not a, you know, it's, 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 it's more of like a SaaS application running in the cloud versus like a, an API that you just don't even know what's behind it. Right. I don't know the technology. I don't know anything about it. I and mean, we had been, we had spent, as Rick knows, we had spent about three years around that and invested very heavily in that infrastructure. And we're spending a lot of money, you know, every month on that infrastructure upwards to $14,000 a month, just on our, our Mongo in the cloud cluster. And so, you know, we had made a sort of pivot in our business pinpoint our product and it sort of necessitated this like well why don't we start over if you will from scratch from a technology standpoint and and sort of that was when firebase came on the scene mm -hmm. and again i think rick you were probably one of the first people to really talk a lot about firebase and it was like look if we're gonna if we're gonna take this opportunity to rethink everything like schema and data design and architecture like we should just also rethink the database and what's interesting is we had another we still are paying for mongo we had a, an additional six months left on our contract, which we're still paying for every month, even mm -hmm. though for the last probably almost four months now, we've been we've been um, on Firebase. We don't use anything from Mongo anymore. Wow. Completely off of it. Off the yep. drug. <laughs> off the drug. <laughs> yeah. That, that, yeah. That's interesting. So, and, and it's not just back to like the persona and what you're working on with Firebase. It, it's not just the database either, right? It's, it's the that's auth right. stuff. Like we, at storage. pinpoint, we had auth yep. and storage. And we had our, we, yeah, as you know, we had our own auth infrastructure. We, we, for a period of time, we used a third party auth provider, but we couldn't quite, you know, get it to work with all the requirements we had. So we ended up building our own off of Passport, which is a really popular Node.js authentication framework. And we had invested very heavily in an auth API, like our own service that we ran and managed. And we had to deal with all the OAuth providers and all that junk. So we we are now using Firebase Auth, you know, and there's there's you know quite a number of things is is you know, we we were using Pendo for all of our, you know, for all of our analytics and infrastructure, and we were paying quite a lot of money for Pendo. 
especially as a startup. We've now moved completely to Firebase Analytics, which is, you know, Google Analytics underneath the covers. It really is, uh, you know, we'll get into it, I'm sure, but it really is a, a, you know, if you're starting Greenfield, and there's certainly non-Greenfield use cases, but if you're mm-hmm. starting Greenfield as a, as a new application or a new company, it is one of the best choices I think you can, you can make as a technology stack. Hmm. I would yeah. agree with that, and and I think Rick gets some sort of commission because I'm I'm scrolling <laughs> through my notes, and he also recommended Firebase, and and Rick, you have been using it on visuals for a while now, right? So I have, yeah. I, yeah. I think you get some sort of commission to get yeah, all kickback into it, yeah. <laughs> his in, his invite, his Firebase invite code. Did you get that? Rick? <laughs> I did actually. I think he I was need trying to get to it to from reduce... Google first. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was trying to reduce the bill of storage for photos and whatnot. Exactly. Pictures, right? <laughs> yeah. So, real quick, let me go back to the persona type thing. So, you know, in user journey, empathy, empathy thinking, and stuff like that. You know, you, one of the questions or come some of the questions you ask are like, "What does the user think? What does others think?" What does they think that he thinks about them? What what do they feel about it? So when when you were picking Firebase, you were pivoting the company and then also the technology um, stack and everything. What were some of the the things going through your mind when you pivoted to something like Firebase? Was it was it a nervous type of thing? Was it like, hey, this is something we can prototype and then I can make a decision really quick if this is going to be good or bad? Like what, what what was going through your mind when you were making that pivot? So good question. I mean, for me, it's weird. I started off with a kind of a management, like a DevOps point of view, which was we were coming off a large Kubernetes Kubernetes cluster. Mm. It was costing us, you know, ten tens plus thousand dollars a month to run on AWS. On top of that, you know, a ten thousand dollar plus Mongo infrastructure a month, not including quite a number of you know RabbitMQ as a service and a few other multi thousand dollar a month services that we were mm-hmm. all built on. So my, in my head, and you know, I, we had a you know we had and we had people that had to like manage all that stuff, right? I mean, you know, it's obviously in the cloud, so we didn't have to manage the infrastructure. But, you know, some there's a team of people, we had three full-time people that were doing DevOps engineering oriented work. And so my thinking was, gosh, that's a lot of stuff and a lot of money. So not only the sort of the, the raw cost of the infrastructure, but also all the sort of people overhead costs, that's not, none of that was really building our app, you know, at the end of the day, right? right? So right. it was sort of like, okay, there were sort of two things that I was thinking about. One was, we're gonna have fewer people and we're going to want to move faster and we want to have every single body working on the new thing, right? Like any startup you should have, right? All your calories are sort of focused in this one area that you can do, you can sort of put a lot of emphasis on and not spread across a lot of different pieces of the stack. And, you know, and so Firebase felt like something out of the box we, we could replace. You know, we, we kind of, I kind of went down our stack. Okay, we had this auth API, we had this graph API, we had, you know, GraphQL database and all the sort of things related to that. We have all these different parts of our stack and we have a Pendo, we have a, you know, we have an e-hubspot for sending emails. We have mm-hmm. all these sort of right. various things like, you know, and you call that best of breed, right? I mean, you sort of like, that's a best of breed sort of modern heterogeneous stack, if you will. But every one of those has an overhead, not just a cost mm-hmm. overhead, but like a cognitive overhead of learning it, understanding it, having the knowledge and all that. And then we sort of looked at Firebase and we said, wow, like in one you know, one stack, if you will, one one sort of package, we could kind of get everything. 
everything that we would need. It can send emails, it can store files, you know, it can do all kinds of things, right? This, instead of having all these various things. Now I'm I'm not a you know I'm not a monolith kind of person. I'm not a monolithic. Right. I actually think best of breed technologies is the best of breed. I mean, I actually believe that. But in this case, you know, we knew we were pivoting, we knew it was going to be a new application. And so what was going through my head was I want to spend all of my energy, me and the company, focus on the new thing, not mm -hmm. on infrastructure management and all these other things that we spent a lot of energy on. And so Firebase felt like it it sort of solved the technical underpinnings what we needed out of the box with one thing. And it was just less stuff that we had to sort of learn. You know, you could learn kind of one thing and everybody would sort of benefit on it. I and mean, that was sort of the the thing that was going through my head. And that's what I really focused a lot on. Hmm. Without the downsides of vendor lock-in, right? It's that's so right. modular that, that you can say, hey, you know what, I'm going to take my analytics stuff out of it because now I need something more complex or something different, or I can take the authentication piece, or I can take uh, the file storage and I want to use my own file because... I don't know, That's sensitive right. data, whatnot. And we've started so, doing that. We'll talk about that. We've started, you know, as we've sort of grown and used it, we've sort of changed some things a little bit. And we'll talk about those as you hit sort of different, but it, but your point, you could just start with everything out of the box, right? They had SDKs kind of for mobile. We were building a kind of a cross-platform application. So we needed mobile, desktop, and obviously the web. I mean, you could just get going. Mm -hmm. right. Very little friction, <laughs> you know, in, in a lot of cases. Okay, good, good. Okay, that's a great, baseline for Jeff, your persona. So let's roll right into the friction log stuff. So the, we always start with the positive thing, which is the delights. And those delights can be as small as, hey, I really like the, this part of the interface of their backend, or it could be, you know, again, like what we just were talking about, like, hey, I just built my whole company on this. So usually what we do is we have a few delights that are there that are highlights. So it, if you'd like to start, I have a couple that I think I can I can probe on. Mm -hmm. But if if you just top of mind, if you have a couple, what are some delights that just come to mind? Well, the, the biggest the biggest delight I'd say I had and, and a number of people inside the sort of team that have worked with Firebase had was, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a corny one to some degree, but you guys I'm sure will appreciate it, is the videos and the, the docs sort of around sort of how you learn the concepts are probably the best that I've seen out there mm. for mm. a technical product. Their videos are really good. They're up to date. They're technical. They're they're not so high level that you don't ever get into like the technical meat of of you know these problems that you're trying to solve. You know, a lot of a lot of things are like these marketing intro videos that you watch, but they don't really ever get into like the hard problems that you're trying to solve, like that nobody talks about or that you have to go to Stack Overflow and right. bumble around on. That was probably one of the biggest delights for me. I literally, I, I'm subscribed to the channel now, but when I first started messing around with it, I literally just went and watched a ton of videos and I was shocked how good those videos were. Mm. Uh, and I'm a big YouTuber. So, you know, at night I watch YouTube all the time and it would just, I just, I learned so much. And, and again, not just about how to use it, but how to design, how to do the schemas, how to do index, how to, you know, how to think about indexing. When I, th I thought they were really good, they were entertaining and they were very, very good, I thought. That's okay. probably the yeah. biggest delight I had out of the box. There's a bunch of others, but that's, that was one of the, probably the most memorable ones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, in, in the amount of things you learn too, like I had for, years with fish rules i have those you know authorization rules it's kind of like you right. know their 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 little kind of gateway for controlling things against firestore and storage and stuff and i had just been putting it in the back end 
And then they had that video where it's, they were doing it programmatically and they had unit tests against all of them. And I'm like, oh man. And, and just them just walking through that and teaching you that I, it's pretty good. You, you learn yeah. a lot. You learn a lot. Yeah. What else? What, what other delights? You know, the other thing that I liked, and again, you know, there, there's always sort of this trade-off. I like that they, they've done, I, I think Google has done a good job of letting them build, if you will, like this fire, Firebase branded inside of Google Cloud that's its mm -hmm. own unique UI and it feels relatively modern. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not as bad as, it's not as good as it could be. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot left to be desired in the Firebase console. Right. After you, you know, after I use it a lot now, I mean, it's a primary mechanism for getting, you know, for interfacing outside of code, right? But it's not anywhere near like AWS, which is clear AWS. Nobody at AWS uses their stuff, right? I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's horrible. That's <laughs> so true. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the worst UI <laughs> you can possibly have. And right. you know, and I know a number of people that work at AWS and I've talked to them, they go, of course not. We don't use any of this stuff, right? I mean, we have our own, we have our own stuff, right? And and so I would say like, that's probably one of the, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty good. I mean, you know, like I said, there's, you know, you'd hope that it could do more things, but, and, and a simple example is like, you know, in there, it's clear they're using Firebase to build their own UI, their own Firebase console, because like, you know, you can insert a record like programmatically and then in the console, you see it red, flash mm -hmm. red, and, and mm -hmm. like literally it's in the UI. And it's mm -hmm. as simple as it possibly could be. Right. But, but it's so useful, you know, it's just so useful that it updates, you know, the record like right there. And, and it's clear they're using their own technology to, to, to sort of build it. And so I, I, again, that's a huge delight because I, as you guys know, and using big product users, uh, I don't know how many people build products. It's clear they don't even use their own products. Oh, man. So and true. it's so frustrating. Yeah, and it's so it, true. And it's, I personally like the, what you said about the branding, like, you know, you're using Google, but at the same time, the Firebase brand is pretty established. And if you go and generate like an API key for Maps, uh, for the Maps API at Google, it's a totally different experience. It's oh, horrible, just it like is, AWS yeah. or not. And then you see Firebase and it's like, oh my God, this is this is where the, where the people that actually use the technology are working on. Job on the developer experience. To that point, we we wanted a, a couple, I didn't even know you could do this. And I'd been, I'd been trying to figure out how to do it for a while and I finally, Googled it and figured out a way to do it. I wanted to add, you know, when you pop up the auth, you know, in Firebase auth, you know, you're using Google, let's say to log in, mm -hmm. it will show like the Firebase URL, like in the, in the, in the URL bar by default, like, right. It'll should be like whatever your firebase.app.com, whatever. Yep. And I wanted to be branded ours because, you know, I don't, like our customers aren't going to know what Firebase is and that could be alarming and things like that. Right. So totally easy. Right. I mean, you know, they've made it super easy. You just go in and you add your own domain and then they sort of do all this stuff underneath the covers on the Google off side. But but I had to there was something I needed additional to do. And I had to like it made me go do it over on the Google land. I like to call it like I had to go over to the Google console, which mm -hmm. is different than the Firebase console. Right. And I had to dig <laughs> into like the OAuth thing and like, you know, the, like the menus, like you hit the back button. And it actually doesn't go back. It goes some other screen. that's not bad. It's like it's terrible. Right. I mean, yep. and, and I got into like the Google screen. It was so confusing. Like they wanted me to like to add my logo in terms of service because because Firebase had abstracted all that away. Right. And what was interesting is I got in there to, to do this configuration and Firebase had clearly behind the scenes had set all this up because all this stuff had been filled out by Firebase. I'd never seen. I mean, I had to go in and tweak a couple of things. Right. To be able to add this thing that they didn't support in, in Firebase off. 
uh, it was supported underneath the covers, right? And so you had to go to Google off to set it up. And it just reminded me how how well the fire you know the Firebase team has taken a pretty powerful platform in Google Cloud, right? And they've made it easier from a developer experience. That was a huge delight for me. Yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. Any, anytime you don't have to jump over to Google Cloud stuff to do things, it's great. <laughs> so, all right, it's good. So let's move on. Let's talk about friction. So when we do frictions, Jeff, it's usually um, something that's just. It could be as small as something that just made you pause from your workflow or a minor, minor irritant to a friction like what on earth is this what is going on i don't understand it what you know, kind of like what you just mentioned about the auth stuff in google console so surely you've got frictions across oh, firebase um got a lot of friction. yeah yeah i mean maybe it's across the different services there's a bunch of services is it you know specific to maybe firestore so let's talk about some of those frictions you, you have a couple off the top I've of got, your head you can rattle i've got a long list i'll start with the simple ones <laughs> i mean i'd say yeah. that you know, the development in the cloud is amazing and, and clearly, you know, but they've not made it easy to have sort of multiple dev environments. And so yeah. you get sort of into this scenario, especially if you want to like do unit testing locally. And I don't want to have to necessarily do it against my sort of production. Certainly, I don't want to do it against my production. But even like my, you know, we have this sort of edge environment, which is like, a you know, it's just a different project on Firebase. But of course, it doesn't have all the data and it's kind of this playground that everybody uses. So it's got its own sort of problems associated with it, right? Because it's not a kind of a perfect environment, like environment-wise. Right. Config-wise, too. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. And, you know, like we've tried to make it as, as, as seamless as we can between the environments. But obviously, that that's a lot of friction. So, so then they have this emulator. And, you know... Like maybe as emulators goes, it's okay, but it's it's pretty terrible, you know. And I know it's a hard problem to solve for a cloud native thing, right? How do you shrink that thing down and put it, you know, in a Docker container or whatever it is underneath the covers to sort of run this thing? But just tonight, as an example, before I get on with you guys, I was trying to run the emulator local, and you can't do like Google off against the emulator. You you have to kind of ha they want you to hack your code to call like a different thing in your code like dynamically to like simulate what Google return, you know, so you can use the, and it's just goofy, right? It's just yeah, like that rough. whole sort of experience is really rough, especially when the other stuff is so good. So that's a, that's a tremendous amount of friction. So we sort of had to like, you know, to your point, another example of that friction is like they have a, you can write these, we, we did exactly what you talked about. We, we, we wrote unit tests for all of our Firebase rules. And that's a whole nother thing I want to talk about, but we wrote unit tests against our Firebase rules because it's just impossible if you don't, right? I mean, it's just it's just because you're otherwise, you know, doing effectively testing in production, right? I mean, which is really bad around security, right? I mean, you want to sort of know that your rules work before you deploy them, you know, so not test them, you know, after they've been deployed and, and either cut someone's access off or worst case, you know, open up some hole or whatever, right? So the problem is we, we very often, and we've almost, we're, we're pretty much banning and sort of this, but we've, we, we very often, the rules are correct when we run them against the emulator, meaning we've written the rules, they validate that, that the person doesn't have access where they do have access. We deploy it to Firebase and then it's totally different behavior. Even though the rules either work or don't work, you know, they accept or deny correctly locally in the emulator, they're different in production. Yikes. Um, and, and that is that is not only alarming, but it's just extremely difficult to debug. Yeah. Right. right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause it's like, it works great on my machine, right. Your typical development thing. And then the cloud, it's just, and you can't, there's no debugging tools in the cloud. Right. I mean, 
you literally have to write a debug, you know, wrap a debug around, but that doesn't even work in the cloud. Unfortunately, they compile it out in the cloud. And locally, you can wrap a debug around any variable and it'll like, you know, dump it out in the Firebase console, or the emulator console log. But of course, that doesn't work in the cloud. There's no logs. You have nothing, right? It just doesn't work and you have no idea why. Yeah. And so then you end, you end up twiddling in their consoles. You can do like these rapid changes before anybody notices. You know, and, you know, or you're in your, hopefully your edge project, not your stable project, but mm -hmm. you're trying to like figure it out. Right. And that's an extremely frustrating, we, we've had, we've spent countless hours, multiple developers trying to de debug that. And that's hard. The simplicity for storing the data, especially like in Firestore, right? The, the ability that they give you comes with a price and the price you pay is always on the rules. Like to me, it rules is. is it's just complicated, right? You wanna, I don't know, it's just, I try the, I guess it's called the cloud shell that they have. And it's like this this Docker environment that they give you and, and you can try some of those things, but it is, I, I mean, the tutorials are nice and everything, but as you said, the moment that you bring what you just created into your project, it doesn't work that way, or there is something different or, you get false positives. Rules to me has been a friction, not a blocker yeah. because somehow I, I have been able to manage on, on the few projects, not that I have very um, specific rules, but I have managed to get them up and, and going, but it is painful. That is probably the most frustrating thing that I have uh, experienced myself. So I feel yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, and we're moving off of, you know, we're, we're totally, this week we're actually refactoring all of our infrastructure around Firebase to move to totally do a different design. We're still using Firebase 100%, but like we're, we're basically moving most of the client code out of the client, most of the Firebase database access out of the direct to Firebase. We're moving it behind an API layer because we just can't get the rule, because our, we, we've introduced some new requirements that we, you can't implement them in Firebase, not without just, you know, just to create, you have to build some like third-party compiler to compile these rules or something. I mean, there's just no way to do them. And so that's another example of like, we've kind of outgrown the usefulness of that just based on some of our own requirements. And that's, that's a bit, that, that's, that kind of stinks. Yeah. I mean, eventually any, any application will outgrow it somehow, right? It's Absolutely. Just, this yeah. is a starter pack for, for any startup or application or, or quick sample thing that you want to do. So it is expected, but the moment you reach that point, it's, it's an unhappy moment when you have to go back and start developing back in code. So, okay. Interesting. Um, any any frictions on on the user experience other than specifically the rules or the programmatic thing? The, Anything? The, the only friction that we have is in their UI. Back to you know again, you know as 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 sort of cloud consoles go, they have one of the better consoles. You know, so this is sort of like you know it's better than everything else, but they're still you know they're still things that are frustrating. Like in the UI, you can't do filtering very easily like they have this little drop down filter thing right when you're in their little ui that you can filter by field or you know whatever but it's so simplistic it doesn't remember your settings you know it's just there's a lot of little frictions around that it's like again it's sort of clear that you know it's 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 sort of not a good primary interface for your data which sucks because you know you don't have any other way of getting your data without writing the scripts so 
you know, that's another example of like, we've, we've resorted to writing a bunch of little node scripts that do a bunch of things, you know, so we can just sort of get at the data. And then this week we actually embarked on, Rick will appreciate kind of an op center UI to, to just for people that aren't, you know, we don't want to give them access to Firebase directly, like, you know, our marketing person, <laughs> you know, and, but there's no other way to get at some of this data. Now this is sort of the single source of truth. So we've done two things. One is we're building a, We've we we built like a little thing on top that we're starting to just expose some real basic data, just a really simple kind of CRUD application to expose some really basic that's that's really safe. You know, you can't go in and like delete a table or something. And then the second thing we actually did that's really cool, actually, and this is sort of speaks to the advantage of of the Google ecosystem, is we actually this week we 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 stream everything to BigQuery, like all of our stuff kind of goes to BigQuery. And we were able to do two things. One is we were able to like bring it into Google Analytics and do this thing they call, I think they call it like data motion or something like that, where we can like in, and pull all of our kind of our data in our Firebase store into like the analytics, data blending, I think they call it. And then the other thing we did this week was kind of cool, was we actually brought it into Google Spreadsheet. So, and it, they made it real, they make it really easy to bring that stuff into like Google spreadsheet dynamically. So that's kind of another yeah, way we're experimenting with like, as, as, as Rick knows, Christy, our marketing person, like, you know, she just wants to kind of slice and dice some of the data just for her, you know, for her own sort of reports and things that she's working on. But we don't want to give her, we can't give her Firebase, like the console, that's not going to work. And we don't really want to build anything, you know, we just want to, so like, she just needs kind of a spreadsheet. So that was a kind of a cool thing that, you know, it was almost very, very, very easy to do that. Both, both of those. That's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, because the, the console definitely doesn't look like a place where you want to go and, and navigate through your data. It is right. like they're telling you, okay, it's good that you have a client app that everybody's using and you have thousands of users, but you also have to build your own, some sort of like admin application where you manage the, the data in a whole different level because this is this is yeah. not people. I mean, if you think about like a lot, and this is typical of any database, right? So not just Firebase, but you know, the database is stored kind of like that what it makes sense to the application, but not what it makes sense to even someone trying to like reason the data. You know, I'm trying to like like Scott, one of our, you know, one of our ops, you know, people, like Scott, you know, he doesn't understand the whole structure of the database. I mean, we all understand it as developers, right? As app developers, right? Because how we store it and put things around, but but from a like a non-developer standpoint, it doesn't necessarily make sense, right? And it's sort of hard to kind of reason where things are. Why is it over here and also over here? And why, you know, and so that's where you kind of need to sort of have something a little bit higher level that sort of understands your application structure, you know, and obviously the console will never do that. No console will, right? So I'd say another, the biggest, I would say sort of handful of technical frictions that we have are just sort of the, and this is always, this is in every scenario that you're going to have, you're going to always have a trade-off, right? They're going to have to make trade-offs. So I would say the the biggest friction we're running into in our, in our, in our use of Firebase as we scale and grow fairly fast is that there are just inherent limitations that are built into Firebase design. And, 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 and these are trade-offs that they made, right? Like a, a, a couple ones that are, we're, they're biting us right now. That's why we're doing this major refactor this week. In addition to the rules problem is, is you can only put 20,000 fields in one document. Now that doesn't, that seems like a lot. When we first looked at that several months ago, we were like, we'll never have 20, a JSON object with 20,000 fields. Like that's crazy, you know? But <laughs> the way they count fields, it's not 
it, it, it's a little bit de- not deceptive, but it's a little bit elusive. Maybe is the right word because every every property is not just every top level property; it's every single property, right? So, like we have we have a user object, let's say, that goes on kind of everything, and that has four fields, but it's really a kind of a four plus two problem because every user is six fields because you have the four fields of the user object, but you have the the top level key that it's got to sit into. And then this other key that it's got to sit into. So you end up having six keys that you pay for, if you will. So if you have a thousand users, really like 6,000 properties that you're using in one record. And so that's a, that's a, that's a, an example of, you know, again, most databases you won't run into that issue, but for us, like, well, the way we modeled it, we had this concept of a workspace. I mean, that's just sort of a collection of, you know, people or teams or whatever. Well, we have these concepts of a public workspace, right? A public workspace has a membership. Well, you know, 20,000 people in the workspace, because everybody that joins our application automatically gets added to the public workspace, to a, to a public workspace called the Pinpoint Community. Very quickly, we're starting to hit the limit where, you know, we can't have the way we designed it is that, you know, the workspace has a hash of users that are in the workspace. And very quickly, and I'm not talking 20,000, right? Very quickly, thousands of users we're going to outgrow that collection, that document, I shouldn't say collection, but that document right. in a collection, which means we have to re-architect it because all of our rules, all of our Firebase rules go off that, that hash. Mm. You know, they simply look up the user to see if you have access to that workspace because that's the way they would recommend it. Right. But you can't, there's no one, there, there's no one does, you know, what, no one document we could put more than 20,000 people in it. So that means we have to put every person in their own Subcollection, right? Every record, every document, every person has to be in a document. But you can't really query that easily in, in rules, right? Or, you know, or in, in, in sort of the other problem with rules is, right, you, they can't, they're not filters, right, in the Firebase world. So the rule will fail if the filter could fail, right? And so you can't do these sort of conditional. So that's a good example of another limitation, another friction is that, like, you can't do an or query. Right. I can't say if they're in the public workspace or they're an owner of the of the workspace. Right. That's a that's a very typical like we need to say you have access if you're the owner of the workspace and there's an owner property or you're a member of the workspace, which is a owner, uh, you know, like a user's hash. You can't do that. You can't do things like that. So, you know, so that's one. Another one that's related to that is the size of a document. Again, when we first looked at this, we were like, well, that's not a big deal. I mean, it was a mag. And we were like, you know, so yep. we designed our application, you know, one document, you know, the, the max document size is, is a meg and it, you know, and that seems like a really big document. It, clearly it's, you know, Shakespeare's, you know, novels <laughs> you can put in less than a meg, right? When you think about it, but it's not just that, that's a little bit elusive, right? Because it's JSON. So there's a right. lot of metadata around the content, right? It's not just the actual physical content. So you know, we're, we're, again, we're bumping up against that one now as well. We're not trying to build collections that have a lot of data, but when you start putting a lot of these types of things in one document, like that's how they would recommend you doing it, right? You know, every user, you know, you don't denormalize it, right? So that's another one that's a, a, a real pain. And, and, and then I would say that the other big one uh, that's kind of, again, somewhat related is the number of indexes. You're, you're limited uh, to, I think, three or 400 indexes or something like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a relatively small number. And I'm talking custom, not, you know, out of the box, every field gets indexed, which is amazing. And that's why it's so blazingly fast. But 
you know, a lot of the things you need to do like conditional, you know, with like a sort or something, or you need to do something where it's greater than like, let's say, you know, give me all the documents greater than the last two weeks, right? That requires an index, a custom index, which makes sense. But that, you know, you can only have, I, don't quote me, it may be more than 300, but it's a, it's a very small number, you know, and, and we're already at like, I think 80 indexes right now. And we're, yeah, we're just yeah. like four months in. Yeah. So you get index and anxiety. <laughs> we have a lot of anxiety. That's right. Range anxiety in the Tesla. We have sort of fire-based uh, index anxiety where now there's this, it's become this sort of negative thing when you have to create a new index, everybody groans, right? Cause it's like, Oh man, you know, do we really need an index for that? And, and so that's, that's another one that sort of, again, these are, these are important trade-offs that every database has to make, right? Everybody's going to have right. to make some sort of trade-off. It's a, it's a reasonable trade-off. But, you know, the, the other one that's probably one of our biggest, again, somewhat related, one of our biggest things that's really, again, it seems like it's not that big of a deal until you do it, is like you can only do, uh, you can only do an array contains and you can, the max number is 10. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Huh. So you can only do an array contains of 10. That's the max. Well, guess what? We have to say, give me all the users that are in the, you know, give me all my notebooks, you know, and you, if you have more than 10 workspaces. So I say, I have, you know, 20 workspaces that I'm in a member of, which again, when we first started, we were like, ah, you're not going to have that many workspaces, right? You're going to have a handful of workspaces you're in. But as we've now grown and as we've seen how it works, like most people have more than 10, at least in our company right now. And we're seeing like, you know, that, that, you know, that, that could be a lot more. And all of a sudden, we're hitting that wall where we can't query using that. So what we have to do are parallel queries. We have to say, okay, we have 20 workspace. We have to run two parallel queries and then join them together in the client, right? Which is terribly inefficient, right? It's really bad when you have two subscriptions, right? So now you have two different subscriptions you're paying for in the client and you can, you got to sort of run the data together and resort it in the client. And, right. and you get, you get into sort of these weird design things that are like code smell kind of things where you're like, oh, that's just gross. Right. I mean, you got to do this and it's terrible on performance. I mean, you start to sort of decay some of the benefit. So I do think you lose uh, flexibility on how you write your own code. Like you have to write code the way that the Firebase tells you to do it or how it's the best way to do it. And yeah, I, I have had some frictions with that and, and I'm not a big fan either, but yeah, it's a trade-off, I guess. Now, what I would say is, you know, you know, with frictions, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of delight. So I'm sure we'll go over a lot of that. I mean, in addition to ones we've already talked about, it, it's, it's, it's blazingly fast. I mean, the offline support's really good. It's blazingly fast. You know, it's, it's another, another good example of an architectural trade-off that you don't think about until you start scaling is the write throughput's really low. I think it's like one per second, one write per second or something like that. And again, you don't think, oh, that's not a big deal. I mean, you know, when our, if our app ever gets to that point, we're all going to be happy, right? But it, it, again, it's a little bit elusive because you build all these cloud functions, right? That trigger off of things that happen in the database. Well, guess what? Each one of those will fire concurrently, depending on your design, obviously. But most of the case, you're going to say, oh, I'm just going to start writing fire. We have, we have now two dozen cloud functions that all just fire off the same type of uh, discrete event that happens and they all write back to the database, right? I mean, you know, cause they're reading, you know, they're firing off an update, let's say on a table 
and then writing to some other table and often writing to the same table. And so then you kind of run right. into that. That's another one that's like, oh, you know, and, and of course that's where they start to charge you. Right. I, yep. mean, I think that's uh, the foundation for a lot of those, those articles that are out there like, oh, Firebase charged me $50,000 or yes. whatever. And then you read through it and you're like, oh, I know why. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and, and another, a good example of that is like the deploy is so terribly slow. Now they've just released a new update probably two weeks ago that, that purports to make it faster on the cloud function deploy, but the cloud, our, our deployments now, like our, our PR preview builds take 15 minutes to deploy because wow. of Firebase. Wow. Because you can't, uh, so we, 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 if you do, if you just run deploy and if you have more than a handful of functions, you'll get rate limited and, and you can't change, you can't request a higher rate limit. You certainly can't pay for a higher throughput of rate limit. So what you end up having to do is try to deploy them either one at a time, or we built this like CI script that tries to be intelligent about the grouping and deploys. And, hmm. and if we don't, when our intelligence was able to get, like with our like code, like our bash script, we were able to get it down to about 15 minutes. Before, if we just did deployed one at a time, you know, serially, um, so you wouldn't get rate limited at all, it took an hour to deploy our functions. Oh man, that's crazy. So yeah. like, that's a good example of another piece of friction. You know, a PR build, especially because we use Vercel, I mean, a mm -hmm. PR build, our app can build in two minutes, right? But yep. yet yep. we're waiting on the CI to finish for cloud functions, you know, and, and, and again, we're intelligent. We don't build if there's no changes, but because we use a shared library, we have a mono repo. So some of our shared code is shared across the cloud functions as well as the, the app. And because if there's, if you touch any of the shared code, we have to assume we have to rebuild the cloud functions, right? Cause we, we don't, you know, we don't know necessarily that you've changed the dependency and that's a good example. So now that's a huge friction for us. We might have 10 PR stacked up now waiting on the bills to finish. Yeah. That's, 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 that's rough. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're, you're on the Vercel drug and you're just used to such yeah, quick PR push. feedback. Yeah. That's right. You push it, you got to build, you got a preview, you can click it, check it out. Yeah. That's definitely, I would almost put that in as a blocker almost, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It just, they kind of force you to do a bunch and they tell you in their documentation, you need to go off and in your, in your CI, you need to like, you know, whatever, you know, build, you know, build whatever, only deploy the things that change or whatever. But obviously, you know, most of us developers don't, we don't know that. How do we know what changed, right? I mean, you know, like outside of being really smart with your like get commit history or something, right? Which was what we did. I mean, we built a thing that kind of looked at your commit and your PR and tried to intelligently figure out what dependencies were. But again, that's not something most developers are going to can sort of go spend a lot of time fiddling with. Yeah, right. For sure. Yeah, I'd I totally see I that. <laughs> I feel like a lot of these frictions are once you engage with the platform and you're working on it and you're trying to scale it and you're trying to grow and you're having users and, and, and improving testing and just, it, right. it's not on the first like two, three weeks. It is like all these frictions wouldn't exist if we were talking to you like two weeks in. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. It reminds me of Mongo in the early days, you know, back, you, you guys will remember the Mongo drug back, back oh, before yeah. they had a cloud and all that. Right? <laughs> Every web developer in the world would build an app in Mongo and then try to run it in production. And, you know, like it was like it was if, for a few years, right? It was always a joke, right? I mean, it was like, yeah, you got your Mongo thing to run local, right? But like, you know, and then you hit a wall trying to make it work in 
you know, in production, right? I mean, it doesn't scale. Yeah. And then I to shard it. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting Firebase is that, right? Because it does scale. I'm not, I'm not trying to put those in the same plane, right? Because they're different. But my point in that is that Firebase is similar, I would say, is like it's, you know, early, it's very, very fast start, like almost no friction to get started. And to your point, says, are you only hit that friction when you really start maturing and scaling and getting users and, you know, all these things that aren't at all obvious in dev mode? You know, none of these things really, well, some of them, but very few of these things you'll hit up front. The first, you know, first iteration of your, of your company or your app. And every technology is like that. It's, I always call it the technology burn in, <laughs> you know, like you, yeah. know, you gotta sort of burn <laughs> in the technology and learn all the problems and then sort of become, you know, that sort of valley of the shadow of death with the technology and you're ready to <laughs> abandon it. And then you sort of finally figure it out and get pretty good with it. And you sort of know what's good, what sucks, and and you sort of know how to live with it, and you're okay with it. And you know, I think every technology sort of go through that phase, that sort of hype cycle phase. And I think we're sort of, yep, you know, yep. we're we're sort of in the in the sort of the bottom side of the trough, coming up on the other end of the side, feeling pretty good about it. But but realizing that, yeah, the way we started was was just you know the way everybody starts with Firebase. But, you know, you have to kind of shape it to be your own after a while. And that, there's a lot of friction with that because you kind of go through several, you know, major kind of re- refactorings. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Makes sense. So it's getting to the, to be the top of the hour here. Well, let's talk about, I, I think we talked about all the categories that we normally cover. Is there anything else with the lights or frictions you want to talk about before we jump to the next section? No, let's go to the next section. All right. So there, I'm just going to bring up a couple of things that I see around the internet and Twitter and stuff like that. And I want to hear your take on it now that you've used it for a few months. So a really, really common thing that people say is, um, oh, Firebase is great for hobby projects or for a side project or that kind of thing. But then you're here building a business, you know, a, a tech startup company off of it. So what, what, what do you think about that comment? Like what, what is, what, where do you uh, yeah. think that comes from? What's your thoughts? You know, I think there's a little bit of, I think this happens in a lot of technology, especially really hot, you know, sort of technology that's, you know, sort of, I, I think it's technologists. We like to think we, 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 we sort of, you know, we, our needs are different than everyone else's needs and they're unique and, and different. You know, I think that's, it's often, you know, the case is often right. not the case. Right. But we always sort of feel like, and like, you know, as a good example, I'll just contrast it. Like, and we fell into this trap as well. Like got to build a whole Kubernetes infrastructure, right? <laughs> I mean, very right. few startups in the world should ever build a Kubernetes. It should use Kubernetes. I mean, no, there's nothing wrong with Kubernetes. I mean, well, there are a lot of things wrong with it, but I'm just saying there's, you know, that's not a, <laughs> right. that's not a, that's not saying Kubernetes is bad. It's just saying like most startups should not start there. Now, maybe they may end up there. Like, you know, right. like Google, right. like Google builds their own data centers, right? But, you know, no, no company should ever start there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and I think it's a similar kind of thing, you know, like looking at like the app stack or the backend stack, you know, like your, your application is going to have enough scale and, and enough complexity that you should start with the most complexity in the world. You mm-hmm. should graduate into the complexity and you should be happy to refactor into that complexity. And I think most startups fall into that trap. We fell into that trap. Like most every other startup, you get on sort of the new, what is everyone else doing? Grafana and Elk and yeah, you know, right, like all right. the tools that are out there that are cool that all the big companies constantly talk about. We all love to sort of talk about, but they're just way over, over built for what startups, most startups need. Mm-hmm. And, and most 
you know, I'm saying startups, it could be a, a new application inside of a big company, let's just say. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking about it more as the startup of the app, not necessarily the size of the company. Right. But so I would sort of say like, you know, DigitalOcean or Firebase or most of these sort of simple things is what, you, you know, like, like make all the complexity be ambient, having it be in the background, right? And make all your, you know, put sort of all your focus on the thing that you're, you're building that's unique and different. And, and so... I would say like a lot of, to me, a lot of those sort of criticisms, if you will, or, or rebukes or whatever, you know, when you sort of read around those are people that are just taking pot shots. Right. I mean, you know, like I said, if we would all be lucky enough to say we've outgrown Firebase, like, you know, like yeah, our application right? was so right? successful. We <laughs> had to Google, move. Google into, couldn't help us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you're like, really? Like, you know, yeah, there are limitations and I've illustrated some of them. Right. But I mean, at the end of the day, I couldn't build Firebase. I mean, you know, Rick knows this because we had a very expensive and very sophisticated. It wasn't Firebase, but I mean, it, we were trying to do a lot of the same use cases. When a change happened, we had this event infrastructure. We had built this data manager that would do sync in the background. And, you know, we did we built all that. And literally we had a very, you know, a big team of people with a lot of money we had spent on that and we were getting we were we were building a platform not an application right i mean yeah obviously we were building an application too but right. but a lot of our energy was going into building things that we could just pick off the shelf and i would say like to me like as as a developer as a tech startup person you know like that's where that criticism comes from and i don't necessarily think it's unfounded or you know i don't think it's it's fair i should say yeah. I, I think you know I, I think that's like any technology you could say that right i mean people said that about accelerator remember absolutely like, oh titanium's a fun hobby project thing and i'm like yeah you, you can't build about? a real app we right? just got done with nbc universal's ipad app what are you talking about you know you know what i mean yeah. it's just like we mm -hmm. built the most yeah we built the most performant amazing you know remember people used to say that about javascript like javascript will never run it's not performant you can't write a, a native thing. And then, you know, and so I, I think, yeah, I mean, a crappy developer, no matter what the tool set, it can build a crappy app, <laughs> you know? So, you know, a, a really, really good developer with a crappy tool set can still build a pretty good app, right? I mean, and it can work around some of the, the challenges, right? I mean, as we've seen. So, you know, I think that's, that's just a, a bit um, silly. I think I see every day or every, every now and then I see people that are trying to use all the cool things like a Kubernetes cluster with auto scaling with, with a bunch of fancy tools, but they don't really need it, as you were saying. And yeah. by the time they actually need it, they got to re-architect the app and they got to anyway, rebuild. That's right. And, and that's it's right. just totally useless, right? So it, it is a matter of just, as you said, picking up the, the shelf, like I need this, I need this. I'll figure out later. And if I need to migrate out of Firebase, then by the time I really need to do it, I'm going to have the money or the reason to do it and, and, <laughs> right. and, just, and just pay for it, right? And, and you're fine. Because you also don't want to be stuck with a, an application that you built for Kubernetes today that in 15 years is not going to be relevant. But guess what? All your eggs were in that basket and that's not, that's not going to Yeah. Last. The technology moves so fast, to your point. I mean... 
who cares if you're on Kubernetes today in two years, it'll be something else. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, like, I mean, sure. it's, it's really, just, I mean, how many times have you written fire rule or I'm sorry, official rules, right? I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, you, you've been through a bunch of technology iterations, both on the client and the back end, right? So, mm -hmm. and vice versa here at, 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 at Pinpoint rather, you know, we've done the same. I mean, this is kind of our fourth generation of an application with a whole new architecture, right? And so, right. you know, and, and, and not that, not that you want to always do that. Like that's not always a desirable thing necessarily, but, but, but it's a reality in, in most technologies. I mean, what, mm -hmm. what exists today is not going to be the, you know, Docker swarm was a big deal when we started. <laughs> <Pinpoint. laughs> oh man. I f yeah. 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 I mean, that was the thing. I mean, swarm had just came out. We were building a swarm cluster, you know, all that. And, and, you know, literally a year later, it was something else. I mean, Kubernetes came on the scene and everybody moved to Kubernetes. Right. And then, you know, so I, you know, I, I just, I think you got to keep it simple. It's like any kind of pre-optimization is just terrible in, in engineering. And I think this is a good example of like, you know, mo like you said, Cesar, you don't, most people aren't, don't need the Kubernetes autoscale cluster. Mm -hmm. And if you can get it off, get it from someone else, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, right. <laughs> get somebody else to manage it and you're going right. to probably end up AWS, uh, paying AWS right. to manage it. Then and you don't have to worry about the infrastructure behind it because that's a whole nother layer that I actually, I work on. And it goes with ways, right? Things that are here today are not going to be in two, three years because something new is going to come up. And then at some point you're building a platform or you're building a big application, you get a big customer and that customer is using swap services as opposed right. to anything modern. And you can adapt and you're going to just outgrow it and a lot of technology let's, uh, uh, that it is behind is still relevant for business. And at some point that business might pay you and you got to integrate with it. And a lot of it is is coming and we don't even know what it is. That's right. Cool. All right. Well, Jeff, thanks for being on the show. It's been it's been a great, great podcast. We went an hour. It's been so great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, so how can people follow you? What, what websites, Twitter handles, um, how can they use your product that you're working on? Yeah. So my, my personal handle on Twitter, which I try to not be on Twitter much anymore, but is, uh, <laughs> is I used to be very, very active and, you know, it's just, has turned uh, dark and evil to me, but you know, it's Jay Haney, J H A Y N I E is my handle pretty much on GitHub and pretty much everywhere. That's, uh, that's me. Uh, the thing I'm working on pinpoint is uh, pinpoint.com. So it's really easy. P I N P O I N T.com. And uh, yeah, it's a cool product we're working on. We're trying to reinvent how you collaborate and how you sort of share documents and things like that and uh, check it out. Let me know. Awesome. And we'll put the, uh, we'll put all that stuff in the, on the webpage too, on the post. The show notes, so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then you also Rick. have a podcast, right? I do. We have a, a video podcast called Build Software Better. So you can find out a little bit more about it, buildsoftwarebetter.org. And Rick, Rick, put your put your invite code link in the show notes then. <laughs> people can join people can join pinpoint and get past the wait list and join it using your invite link. Oh nice. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. I'll do that. I like it. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, thank all you right. so much. Thank you. Well, that's all for today's episode of Friction Log. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app and visit our website frictionlog.com. Adios, amigos. Adios.